Thank you, and uh, a joy to... Uh, I always enjoy it when Brian reads. He reads nice and clearly and loudly, and it's a joy to be able to, uh, to listen. So you'll know if you can remember back. First of all, thank you for prayers. We had a good time away last week. It was, uh, it was good to be away, and we ended up uh, in a place called Markdale in the evening, which uh, Chris and Rebecca Crocker, uh, Chris is the pastor there, and Chris was the pastor here at Norwich Baptist Church. So it was a joy to be able to uh, renew fellowship with them and to meet with them. But you'll know that uh, two weeks ago, we began to look at uh, the subject of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ back into heaven and uh, we made the point that it is uh, a subject we don't often talk about in, uh, in churches. It's uh, a very important subject, but it's one that tends uh, to be eclipsed perhaps by uh, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, being born into this world, and of course the events of Easter, the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the ascension is, uh, is very, very important for us, and we have to recognize that there are certain key things that affect us in our lives. And you'll remember that uh, uh, we began um, by, uh, by looking, as I say, two weeks ago at uh, what the effect of the ascension was on the Lord Jesus himself. It was his exaltation and it was the fact that he is being lifted back up to the Father. Now, I've yet to think about this uh, in more detail. Um, but I'm wondering whether the ascension was meant to happen. So we'll have to talk about that next week because I've been reading the scriptures and uh, praying about this and uh, I need to explain more about that particular point. So that'll, give you, that'll make you all want to come along next week just to see what, uh, what that's all about. But um, that was two weeks ago and we noted very clearly, and if you remember, there's great importance on this particular point, that our origin, the place that we come from, determines our destination. I just want to say that for our young people, I'm hoping that you've received a copy of the notes, and there's two pages to them this time. And uh, so basically, there's also a word search. Now, <laughs> the word search is not something that you're meant to be doing instead of listening to the message. You'll notice that the word search has not got the words that you're looking for written on the bottom of it or beside it, which is how word searches normally work. That's because the words you're looking for are in the message. So if you want to find these words, then you have to listen very carefully to the message. And I'll try and give a, a, a bit of a nod and a wink as to some of the words that you should be looking for. And then if anybody can complete them, uh, you can let me, uh, let, the, let me have them. And uh, there is a prize, but unfortunately I left it at home, so you'll have to come this evening to obtain it, okay? And then uh, you can work through. If you've got your church app, you can fill them in online, email it to me, and uh, it'll be good to keep touch with people working that way. And there's everybody got a, one of these in their bulletins to explain how to get the app if you haven't got uh, haven't got that already. So one of the words that uh, we might be looking at would be very clearly the word that describes what we're talking about. And we noted that our origin, which could well be uh, found in the uh, word search as well, is the place that determines our destination. So we uh, understand that the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven. Therefore, that's where he's going to be returning to. Because he's from heaven, that's his home. That's the place that he will return to. And of course, this principle is very, very important for us as believers to understand. It's also very important for us 
if we're not believers, to at least understand this and to hear what is being said. Because, my friend, if your origin is still firmly fixed in this world, then I'm afraid there is no opportunity of heaven. Because that's not the destination that is associated with this world. That is not the destination that we have available. If our feet are firmly rooted in the world and all the mire and all the dirt and everything that goes with it, then that will preclude us and will exclude us from heaven. Our origin determines our destination. When we become believers, when we put our trust and our hope and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a miracle takes place. And that miracle is very simply that our origin changes. Because from that moment, no longer is our origin in this world. The Bible tells me this. Your Bible tells you this. It says that our citizenship is translated, is changed, is moved. Our address changes. And we move into heaven. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't feel like I'm in heaven. Here's a very sad point. There are some people here this morning who the best heaven that they're ever going to know for all eternity is the life they're living now. And that's not the heaven I'm interested in. And so we have to recognize very, very clearly that when we're born again, as the Bible puts it, our origin changes and we find ourselves being placed into heaven, which means that our destination changes. That's where we're going. Now, some people worry about the geography of heaven. Have you ever worried about the geography of heaven? Where is heaven? This young man, this guy here, he's been worried. Do you worry about it much? Uh, it's more like a relation to it. Okay, okay, okay. That sounds quite philosophical. We'll talk about it afterwards. But the thing is, there's no point in worrying about where heaven is. The only thing that you've got to worry about this morning is, are you going to be in heaven? Is that your destination? Is that the place that you've had the assurance that you're going to? And part of the doctrine of the ascension is so important for us to be able to understand here. So what I'm saying is don't worry about the geography of heaven. But what you really need to worry about is am I going to heaven? That's the only thing you need to be concerned. That's it. That's the important thing. And so this week, we're going to ask the question, what does the ascension mean to the church? We're not talking about buildings. We're talking about people. And what does the ascension mean, if you want to take it a stage further, to believers? So believers together uh, that form the church. What does the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ mean to us? Well, two weeks ago, as I said, we began this very short series. There's, there's three studies in this. Uh, and because today is Lord's Supper, this is a short message that we have. Uh, but two weeks ago, we asked, what did the ascension mean to our Lord Jesus Christ? And it meant his exaltation back to his Father. And we see very clearly the scriptures being fulfilled there. And so firstly this morning, what does it mean to us as believers? What does it mean to us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it means edification. Now, you might think to yourself, that's quite a long word. What does it really mean? 
Uh, it's actually fairly straightforward to actually uh, understand it. And again, if you're doing the word search and if you're putting the notes together, it's important that we understand clearly what this uh, business of edification is all about. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, used to uh, understand, or he certainly understood, that the best way of communicating with people is to talk to them in things that they'll understand, pictures that are being spoken of. And we try and do that here in this fellowship so that we can understand what it is that, uh, that we're looking at. And some of the pictures that the Apostle Paul used was anatomy. Okay? He spoke about being part of the body of Christ. And he used different examples that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head. And uh, he talks about the fact that we're, we have different roles and responsibilities, hands and feet and so on. So that was one uh, area or one uh, description that he used. And another that he used was athletics. Now I try and keep off of this one a little bit because that involves a lot of running and trying to win prizes and things. And uh, when you get to a certain point in life, you can no longer run as fast as you perhaps want to. But he used athletics and uh, he talked about running and he talked about wrestling. And a third one that he used was to talk about the army. He enjoyed talking about the military, about the sword of the spirit. He liked to talk about the armor that we need to put on for our protection, the shield of faith. Have you got your shields of faith in place? Because we're living in an increasingly difficult world when it comes to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not liked. We have to understand that. We find that government are doing things to try and reduce the impact and the effect that churches have, much to their detriment. But we are seeing this taking place around the world. And so we need to make sure that our shield of faith is firmly in place. Now the fourth one, and the one that we're going to look at because of the word edu ed um, uh, uh, edification, is very clearly the subject of architecture. Now again, I'm no, not great at architecture, um, but of course the Romans and the Greeks were. And if anybody's ever been to Rome, it's fascinating to see the various uh, buildings that are still standing. In fact, going to Britain is quite fascinating. There are still many Roman buildings that are standing. Some of our roads uh, were built by the Romans, and we haven't updated them since because they did such a good job in constructing them. And the Fossway that runs right the way up the heart of England is, uh, is an old Roman road built as straight as can be, and there it is. So they were very good at architecture. They were good at building things. And they seem to have what you could describe as an edifice complex. Because the word edifice means building. And the Romans loved to build. Here's a little fact for you. The dome on top of the Pantheon, uh, which is the uh, big building in, uh, in Rome. And it's got what's called the oculus, which is a big round uh, hole in the middle of it. Is still the world's largest unreinforced concrete dome. And it's 2,000 years old. So it's incredible to think what they were able to do. And it's 43 meters high, 142 feet. And uh, they loved building. And so the Apostle Paul, whilst he might have been a tent maker, he obviously knew something about architecture. And he often used architecture to illustrate the Christian life. And you'll understand why I've spent a few minutes explaining this. Because there's one thing today that we are desperately in need of, and that is our lives being built there's one thing that the church needs more than ever before, and that is to see the church being built and reinforced and strengthened. We need to see the foundations being strengthened. We need to see uh, in our lives um, God building within us. We need to see the church being built for us and within us. 
So Paul used architecture to illustrate the Christian life. And he does whenever he uses the word edify. So when you hear and you read and you see the word edify in the scriptures, that's what's being spoken of and we can understand very clearly. Our Lord Jesus Christ today is in the building business. Now I don't want to sound disrespectful for saying it that way, but he is and we will see this very clearly as we look into the scriptures very briefly. Just to help us uh, understand this, I came and I've forgotten the name of the preacher, but a gospel preacher once preached a sermon and it was uh, entitled, Why Christ Was a Carpenter. Now, if there's any carpenters here uh, uh, this morning, then you'll know that it's a privilege to have that particular uh, role and perhaps an understanding as to what our Lord was doing. But carpentry involves making things. It involves building things. There's a lot of carpentry certainly in days gone by in buildings to be able to hold them up and to make sure all the beams of the roof were locked together to be able to keep that building together. And this was the thesis of uh, this particular uh, preacher. He said, when the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, he gave up everything except one thing. God the Father said to the Son, I'm going to let you keep one thing just to keep in touch with heaven. I'm going to let you be a carpenter because you've always been a builder. You see, Jesus built the universe. Notice that word, the universe. No questions about that. We read in Colossians 1 verse 6, And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Who created the universe? Who created the earth? Jesus did. And today Jesus is still building. He is in the business of edification. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, what's he building? What do we see that Jesus is building around us and in us? And I'm going to suggest three things. There could well be more, but three that we'll look at in the time that we have this morning. Number one, he's building a church. Now, that word building is worth noting down as well, if you're looking at the word search. <laughs> Having gone back to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God has given people gifts. This is what the scriptures say. Now, sadly, it strikes me that a lot of us do everything we can to avoid using the gifts that God has given to us. And that's a travesty. Because we are all given responsibility. We're all given gifts to use, and yet we seem to be fighting and uh, bending over backwards to avoid using them. But these gifts are given specifically to see the church being built. To see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ being strengthened. Because Jesus is in the business of building local churches. And as he builds local churches, he is building the temple of God. Sometimes uh, people say, well, you know, there's nothing I can really do, so I don't bother going to church. Well, how are you going to know what God wants you to do if you don't bother turning up? How do we build up the church? By being part of it. How do we help other people? By meeting with them. So if you think that you're no value to God, 
think again, what is it that you're doing? Are you getting involved? Are you part of it? That's why we should all be part of the local church. That's why we meet and that's why we work together. We don't hop around from one church to another. There are people that think that's the way to do it. Never put a root down. You know, if you stay in one church too long, they might ask you to do something. <laughs> if you stay in one church too long, people will begin to depend upon you. And so we hop around. And we don't get involved and we don't put our roots down and our children have no idea what's going on. And they say, oh, where are we going now? My friends are going there and so on. Because Jesus is building the local church. And we are gifted by the Holy Spirit to be involved and to be part of it. 1 Peter 2.5 You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Churches in England are built of rough stones very often, not bricks, with the older ones that is. And I like to see the picture of that wall, you know, like a stone that's this shape can fit in with a stone that's that shape. And they all fit together because... The master craftsman, the builder, takes them and he looks at the stone and he looks at the wall and he says, that one will fit just there. And that stone's important. And then the next two are different. But they're important. And that's the picture that I like to look at. The Holy Spirit of God has come down and you and I should be part of building the church. Now I have to say this, some Christians today seem to get the idea that their responsibility is to try and tear the church apart, destroy it. I need to warn you that that's a very, very serious indictment. And God doesn't look kindly upon people that have that attitude. I was talking to a pastor of a church not so far from here who's just had to leave because there was a group within the church that decided he wasn't to be right. They, 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 they didn't pray. They didn't come and talk to him. They didn't explain what was going on. And he feels he's got to go home back to the British Isles or to, to wherever it is. And, and I'm, I'm saddened by that. And he is as well. And it was all to do with COVID and all the different things that are taking part and that uh, have, uh, have happened. But you see, there are some Christians who've got themselves into this idea that they're the sort of watch people. They don't want to let things get too carried away within a fellowship and they want to start looking at what they can do to be an irritant. They're in the business of tearing down. Now, I actually realize that it does take some skill to destroy a building. You know, it's not something that happens um, just like that. I think Tyson, is Tyson here this morning? Somewhere, maybe. Oh, he's gone, he's gone to, to, to help in Sunday school. Well, Tyson, is, I, I went round to see him not so long ago, and he had a huge sledgehammer in his hand, and he's smashing a house up. And I thought, wow, that's one way of getting your teenager under control. Just, just leave him this building to dismantle. And, uh, and so Tyson is in the business, certainly, of destroying a building. And I've seen him smashing up that old house back in England. 
remember of a demolition crew who was sent out to uh, demolish a building and the job went really well. Everything had gone fabulously well. Uh, the street was right. Unfortunately, the number wasn't right. <laughs> and when, when the owners of the property came back, it would have gone. <laughs> it had been removed. They'd even taken all the stone away because they wanted to, uh, to build something else with it. Yeah, so it does take some skill to, to, to destroy a building. But I would rather be in the business of construction. Not the business of destruction. And some so-called Christians have become quite skilled in the business of destruction. And they move from one church to another church. And every time they go, they've left destruction and we need to be careful that we are not people who are involved in destruction let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may be given that grace may be given to them who hear Ephesians 4 and verse 29 you see our Lord Jesus Christ today is in the business of building his church that's one of the beautiful things I like about Mark 16 and that verse 20 uh, we've been given the instruction to go into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature and then we read these verses it says and and they went out and they preached everywhere and then at the second part of verse 20 says the Lord working with them. Do you see it? The Lord working with them. Now that's how it should be. God has chosen us as his instruments to be able to go into the world and to preach the gospel. The scriptures tell us that very, very clearly indeed. And as we do that, we need to make sure that what we're doing is actually building up. That we are doing what God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, has instructed us to do. And to recognize that he is with us. He's with us. He's with us. He's not going to let us do this job on our own. Through the Holy Spirit living <coughs> excuse me, and working within us. He's with us. When we're tearing the church down, it's not the Lord Jesus that's with us. It's not the Holy Spirit that's leading us to do that. We must never allow Satan to so infect us that we become a turncoat. And we start to try and destroy the church. And over this COVID business, I mean, it's been terribly sad to hear and to see some of the most appalling things. And even our own fellowship has experienced some of this ourselves. People who call themselves Christians, phoning the police up to complain that brothers and sisters are meeting and rejoicing. When our Lord was on earth, there was a sense in which his ministry was limited. But now he's back in heaven, and through the Holy Spirit, he is unlimited. All authority <coughs> is given to me in heaven and on earth. <coughs> he's working with us. And... I don't know what your week's like this week. 
But Jesus is going to work with you in this week to build up you and to build up the church. It could be that on Tuesday, you will need a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus knows that, and he's praying for you now. And he's looking after you. And he's caring for you. He's working with us. And he knows what we need. Secondly, our Lord is building Christians. He's edifying us. He's edifying, he's building the church of the Lord Jesus. And incidentally, whatever you do to try and destroy it, won't happen. And sometimes people say, but he's not worried about me. Yes, he is worried about you. He's concerned about you. Have you ever seen uh, perhaps a picture of the, you know, those early switchboards? Maybe you've seen one of those postcards or perhaps a film where usually you've got a, a, a woman sat in front of a lot of boards with lots of little holes in it. And there's these wires and she's got headphones on and she's plugging these wires in and connecting everything up. Do you ever think to yourself, how does God ever hear all our prayers at the same time? Well, it's because he's outside of time. But that means that you, your prayer, your request is special to him and he hears you. We know this because the scriptures tell us. And somehow God graciously gets all the wires in the right place at the right time so that he's able to respond to us. All the circuits are made, everything is there and we praise him for that. But can you imagine the millions of people who are praying and God has to keep all of those uh, plugs and things in the right place. But our Lord is listening to us pray. Our Lord is watching us. And he's building his church by building believers. He wants to edify us, to build us up. Believers might be a word you want to watch out for as well. And that's why he's the high priest. And as our high priest, he is able to intercede for us. You know, it's great. We've been able to pray for people this morning, but it was, it was weak in comparison to what Jesus is able to do, what he wants to do. You know, we do our part. But we have one interceding for us who knows everything. You know, I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart in that sense. But Jesus knows and he's praying for you, and he knows what your family's going through, and he knows what's down the road. He knows the pressures that are coming just for you because he's interceding for us, and we see that beautifully in John chapter 17. And through the Holy Spirit, he teaches us and he builds us up. One of the other words you might be looking for is priests, so keep an eye out for that one. There's the great benediction in Hebrews chapter 13, isn't there? Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, and have you noticed those words at the end? Make you complete. That means to equip you. It means to get you into shape. It means to edify you. It means to build you up. Because he's not going to just leave it to you. If he did that, can you imagine where the church would be today? Can you imagine where you would be? What is our great high priest doing? What is the great shepherd of the sheep doing? He's edifying his people. He's building them up. 
through the word and through prayer, through intercession and through fellowship and through suffering, yes, through suffering and through difficulties that we face. But in all of these things, he's building us up because we, you know, it's fine to be joyful when everything's going swimmingly well, isn't it? But to be joyful when things are not going well, that's the difference. There's the third thing that our Lord is building up. He's not only building his church and he's building his people, but he's also building a home. Now, I have to be honest and, with you and say I'm really glad that John chapter 14 is in the Bible because I use it uh, when there is a funeral service of a believer. It's an important section of Scripture to read and to understand. Of course, we can't use it for those that are not saved because if you're not saved, there's no building work going on in heaven for you. Someone who's never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives, there's no building work taking place in heaven for you. Why? Because your origin hasn't changed. You're still in the world. And because it hasn't changed, it means your destination hasn't changed. But remember that our Lord did not use these words first of all, at a funeral. <laughs> he used them to encourage his own people. The disciples might be another word taking note of, another word to take note of. The disciples had just discovered that one of them was a traitor. This is when Jesus spoke these words in the upper room in the discourse that took place there. They've just discovered that one of them is a traitor. And even then, they're still clueless as to how all that this is taking place. They've also discovered that Peter, their greatest stalwart of a leader, he's going to be an abject failure. You know, the one they looked up to. And he's going to fail. And so in their hearts, you can say to yourself, well, I understand how they're feeling. Traitors, failures. And then they discover that Jesus is going to leave them. He's going back to heaven. They're going to lose their master. And so Judas is a traitor, Peter is a failure, and their Lord is leaving. And Jesus looks at them and simply says, let not your hearts be troubled. Stunning, isn't it? Everything's going horribly wrong. And Jesus simply says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be discouraged. Now, that passage is not just for funerals. It's also for next Tuesday as well. When you're going to be discouraged. And when that happens, you might begin to hear the words of Jesus again. Let not your heart be troubled. Perhaps when you come home from the doctor's office... And you've just been told that your medication needs changing again. And you're thinking and screaming to yourself, Doctor, I'm a patient, not a guinea pig. Don't you understand that? You see, regardless of what the circumstances come along, what they're like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the discouragements are, you can always look up and say, You know what? He's building a home 
for me because Jesus is a builder. This is what he wants to do. And he makes it very clear. I'm building a home for you. Friends, I don't care how many battles we lose because we're going to win the war. We may stumble and fall a hundred times, a thousand times more. But he's going to pick us up and we're going to keep on going. And one day he's going to usher us into heaven. Now, if you want to really... Um, sort of mind-boggling exercise to do. Read Revelation chapter 21 and 22 and try and conceive what heaven is going to be like. Um, a long time ago, a little boy said to me, is heaven going to be like Disney World? It's going to be much, much better than Disney World. It's going to be incredible. It's even going to be better than the rolling fields and hills of Somerset in the southwest of England, which is officially the most beautiful place on the earth. And it's going to be beautiful because Jesus is there and he's building it. He's building it for us. What does this mean for us now? Well, it means confidence. It means assurance. And it means peace. For those of us who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have trusted in him. So friends, allow Jesus to build his church. Stop trying to tear it down. Please allow Jesus to build in you. Stop fighting him. And submit to him. And rejoice that he continues to build you up.